I'm Harry Bridge. I'm Scott Mitchell. And this is the Dharma Realm Podcast. We are coming to you from the Jodo Shinshu Center in Berkeley, California. This is the Dharma Realm Podcast for November 1st, 2019, and today we are talking about Buddhism and scholarship. We are going to keep talking to Natalie Cooley. Yes. Um, so one of the things that we've mentioned a couple times in the last episode or two, I don't even remember, and it was only five minutes ago, um, this idea of scholarship. And I think that you said something about how scholars participate in yeah. authenticity discourses. Oh, I'm yes. paraphrasing wildly, but as it was coming out, it felt good. It, uh, yeah. <laughs> ding, ding, ding. Like, agreed. Yeah. So, I mean, we we're all doing it, whether we want to or not. We're drawing the boundaries around Buddhism, what counts and what doesn't. Um, I remember when I was writing a paper on, on jhana before, um, I was profiling various um, English language jhana teachers, and I ran across this guy who was a self-ordained monastic. In, was you can't do that. You can't do that. <laughs> I, he self-ordained and proclaimed himself not an arahant, but I don't know one of the stages below that. Maybe even arahant. I I can't remember. But I struggled. I was like, do I include this dude? Because that's really fringy. That's really fringy. So how much do we? Yeah, where do you draw the lines around that? If I remember correctly, um, Richard Payne was like, yeah, don't include him. <laughs> I was like, but wait, I'm struggling. But even in those kind of situations, like, I'm drawing the boundaries, yeah, right? Yeah. Um, and I think it's inevitable. So probably part of the project is to be transparent. Be like, yeah, look what I'm doing. Yeah. yeah. I don't know. What kind of thoughts do you have? Uh, well, I think just for starters, just to sort of lay it on the table, I think it's important to acknowledge that um, scholars invented Buddhism. Yes. I mean, <laughs> yeah. really. I mean, you know, I, I remember having this conversation in a class a couple years ago, mm-hmm. and my students got hooked on this idea of Buddhism didn't exist until the modern period. <laughs> and then they were like, what does that mean? And they had all the wrong interpretation, all, <laughs> all the wrong reactions to it. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Um, but, you know, I'm not saying that Buddhism didn't exist before the colonial period in Asia, but as a result of the colonial right. period in Asia, mostly Western academics, not exclusively, but mm-hmm. mostly Western academics, noticed all of these religious practices mm-hmm. that had some sort of relationship to one another. And, and then systematized it. Systematized it yeah. and called it Buddhism. Before mm-hmm. then, there was the Mahavihara, or mm-hmm. there was right. Nishi Honganji, or there was, you know, different... Some culturally specific... Yeah. Uh, yeah. With some self-identification, some self-awareness, mm-hmm. and definitely a history, and, right. and all of those kinds yeah. of things. But the way in which we conceptualize Buddhism today is largely the result yeah. of a Western academic project. Yeah. Um, there's a great article by... Someone. I'll have to look up that good little someone. (laughs) He's written a lot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Definitely. Sometimes too much. Um, Anyway, someone has this article about um, 
uh, basically textbook Buddhism, right? The mm-hmm. way in which if you, you know, there's a whole series of introduction to Buddhisms, and they all basically follow yeah. the same the same pattern, right? First, there's the, you know, sometimes they do the the, the Indian context for the historical Buddha. That's right. Sometimes they don't. Which sometimes, always confuses me. Yeah. Like, why are we getting, like, <laughs> super historical context rich with just this period, right? right? right. <sighs> but then they start with the Buddha, and they do his life story, and then right. they, you know, do the... The first couple of councils, and then they do the the rise. Of, I'd probably write it that way. Yeah, how else yeah. do you write? Yeah. Like, <laughs> mm-hmm. It's a good straight historical, you know. Well, it gives people yeah. something to hold on to. Right. Like that's the first thing is that I think when when people are exposed to some new ideas, yeah. they need those little uh, rungs mm-hmm. to to climb their way out, and then eventually you realize, oh, this whole thing was <laughs> was, was ridiculous. Like there there are no rungs. What yeah. am I talking yeah. about? Like, but as at the beginning, I think you need that kind of structure um, yeah, to enter yeah, yeah. it, right? Yeah, I, no, and I struggle with that too because I'm teaching this fall, I'm teaching a course, Introduction to Buddhism and Buddhist yeah. Studies, and yeah. I, I keep wanting to be creative and think of some other way to tell some alternatives. Yeah, it's like well, no, it actually makes sense to just sort of go through yeah. the steps, but but along the way, be mindful of the fact that when you do that, you can reinforce certain ideas, such mm-hmm. as the Theravada, mm-hmm. you know sort of began at the time of the first or second right. council and has been unchanged since then. You know, had <laughs> no contact whatsoever with Mahayana or, or Vajrayana. By, by the thought. way, that's traditional Theravada, yes. right? <laughs> you can just flatten the whole landscape. Right. <laughs> Which, of course, is not true. For 2,000 years, all these different yeah. ideas were floating around in Which, South Asia. Which, by the way, and if that's, I could that's interject, really interesting, you know. that is a huge problem with this um, periodization of traditional mm-hmm. and mo- like there's this little sliver of time <laughs> and then everything else is traditional Buddhism yeah, yeah. and uh, <laughs> bad bad that's all I'll say about that but I interrupted you Scott no 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 that's, this is, that's the nature of the show yeah. we just sort of ramble and interrupt each other and interrupt each other <laughs> suddenly start talking about Star Trek or something <laughs> or Dungeons and Dragons or ad <laughs> I, I want to kind of shift it a little bit to not just, I mean, I feel like I, as a scholar in the classroom, it's my job to get people to think about things. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's also my job as a human being, which I'm not going to put separately in, a, in the Venn diagram. I, like, I can't. As a human being, I see things that harm. And, and how we, students, me, a person, how we participate in certain harmful structures. And... I know that that's considered activist, but I think everybody's doing mm-hmm. it. I, I happen to be explicit, but all the implicit stuff of like, we're just objective, we're just presenting. Mm. No, there's no objective presentation. That's, we're always coming from somewhere. We don't have the God's eye view. And um, so own it, you know, mm. just own it. Be an ethical being and say, these are, this is what I think is harmful. What do you think? I mean, that's the corollary I think ha- that has to happen is not just this is what is right and do it this way, but like here's my perspectives and what do you think of this and how, do you, how would you rework this and how do you relate it to your own ideas? Um, and that seems like a more honest uh, mm-hmm. academic approach to me, but I don't know. What are your thoughts on that? Um, no, you're wrong. Okay. <laughs> we summed that argument up. Yeah, we're, we're all done. No. Uh, 
<laughs> no, I, I'm in I'm in agreement. I, I I think that there's a convenient lie that scholars fall into where they assume that they're somehow separate from the thing that they're studying. Yeah. Um, you know, and I've 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 seen scholars who you know, particularly people who work at uh, like Cal, for example, which is mm-hmm. a public institution, and they'll yeah. say they'll be really straight. They'll say, you know. In the classroom, it's not my job to tell people how to be Buddhist. Right. That I work for a public institution, First Amendment, separation of church and state. I'm just talking about the history or yeah. the culture, and I'm at a yeah. distance from it. And I think that that's, that's true. On the I, one yeah, that's I think that's true. That's absolutely true. It I is not true. your job, yeah. uh, especially at a state school, to teach. And I love me some yeah. separation of church yeah. and state, even though it's incomplete project. Right. Like, I'm not. <laughs> I don't with that. Yeah. At the same time, you know, the same person who's telling me this sits in a professorial chair that's fully funded by a Buddhist organization. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that they they can't they don't they don't have that job except for the fact that a Buddhist philanthropic organization donated 10 million dollars to the university. Yeah. Um you know, so there's there's a relationship between mm-hmm. that person's scholarship yep. and the Buddhist tradition. Mm-hmm. Now, we could talk about the structures of academia. We could talk about how the separation of church and state doesn't mean that um, that 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 that. Um, it's not as if that that uh, philanthropic organization is saying, you know, we gave you all this money, now you no, have to go per, and yeah, you know, propagate, propagate and, or say yeah. certain things. Yeah. But I think it's a I think it's a useful project to just sort of think about the economics of yes. of academia yes. and the way in which certain projects get That's right. funded. That's right. You know, there's there's another another organization, another Buddhist organization that um, has an annual grant giving cycle. They tend to only give money to people who are doing translations of texts. Right. So, and I think translating texts is really it's important. It's awesome. We need to Great. do that. Let's keep on doing it. Yeah. <laughs> but if you're working in a, um, in a field which doesn't have a lot of resources and you're trying to get money to That's pay it. your bills, That's it. Then, then you're going to end up doing the kind of scholarship that translates texts. That's correct. And you're not going to do the kind of scholarship that looks at some other part of Buddhism, mm-hmm. right? So those are the systems that yeah. I'm interested in sort of exploring, the way yeah. in which the structures of the social group that we work in yeah. determine the kinds of scholarship that gets done. And because we're doing this scholarship, we're saying something we're about shaping Buddhism. We're the shaping tradition. the tradition. Yeah. yeah. So even if you're not a self-identified Buddhist, even if you work for a public institution, your work says something about, i.e., defines the boundaries of something that we collectively know as Buddhism, Mm -hmm. you're implicated in that. You're implicated in the construction of this idea of Buddhism, even if you think that you're not. And I so I think that. you're right. You know, be honest about that. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> what else can you, and, you know. you're going to come from yeah. somewhere. Um, another thing it reminds me of, I've written briefly about this, um, is the way that uh, Buddhisms in the U.S. were classified as new religious movements for a mm-hmm. while. And that, that project is fraught. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, there's some good ideas there. Like, there's uh, charismatic authority is more common in new religious movements, right? And and some of the um, earlier uh, convert movements were definitely charismatic. We're uh, thinking of like Jack Cornfield mm-hmm. and how those institutions were developed. Um, but there was also a rhetorical strategy in calling these groups new religious movements. First of all, the, the scholars who were 
pushing this view of Buddhism in America as being a new religious movement were coming from places where they were funded by schools that were Christian. <laughs> and there was this sense of threat um, because we're coming out of the counterculture, a need to contain these new religious movements. And one of the ways that you can do that rhetorically is to call them inauthentic, right? Mm -hmm. And and so stressing that... Because um, you can make an easy sort of correlation between a new religious movement and some you know, quote-unquote crazy wacko cult. Right, exactly. Which can be easily dismissed because it's right. not part of the great tradition. A absolutely. And just the mere use of the word new mm -hmm. um, functions to uh, cut it off from authenticity, right? right? It's new. It's not real Buddhism. It's new Buddhism. Um, I find modern Buddhism or Buddhist modernism or mo modernist Buddhism functions in a very similar way. Mm -hmm. And it, in scholarship, it functions that way and mm -hmm. is shaping the tradition again, right? Um, and yet that can masquerade as, oh, I'm just, you know, these are just the facts. Um, and I think it constrains the way that we think about things. And um, I mean, everything's going to constrain the way we think about things. But I'm seeing a lot of leakage at the edges of that. And I'm like, oh, this model's not working so great, you know. Um, again, Anne Glegg, I think, mm -hmm. is starting to, to do that by um, talking about it in terms of postmodernism. But I even have trouble with the kind of universalizing narrative that wants to say modern, postmodern, uh, traditional, and um, kind of forcing this periodization on extremely diverse traditions mm -hmm. that didn't even know each other existed for a long time um, with their own histories, like you mentioned, their own histories, their own um, lineage developments and all of that. So as scholars, we participate um, not only in the construction of Buddhisms in the classroom, of Buddhism in the classroom, really, um, the Buddhist tradition, um, but we're also participating in economic structures um, that that push our um, scholarship in one way or another. Mm -hmm. um, I remember Buddhist studies really, I remember, you remember, uh, Buddhist studies really um, kept um, uh, Buddhist American studies at a distance mm -hmm. um, and flat out um, rejected it. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think for largely economic reasons, like yeah. you like you pointed out yeah. before. If you can't get funding to do the research project that you want to do, then that research doesn't happen. Or if you're a scholar who doesn't want to do that research, mm -hmm. or who is doing the research that he, he or she is getting paid for, that other person is competition. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. And and it behooves you mm -hmm. um, as a as somebody competing in a capitalist system to say, we knew it was coming around to this. Um, but that, that these larger social structures, we're implicated yeah, in yeah. them oh, all yeah. the time. Yeah, and that's, I mean, that's the other thing we're talking about, insider, outsider, right? Like we, yeah. you know, we were talking about, you know, it being an insider to the community of Buddhism or yeah. the outsider or whatever. And American Buddhist is being part of two different communities. Yeah. yeah. The same is true for academia. Mm -hmm. Being a scholar is another community, mm -hmm. which means that it's it's a human construct. That's it has right. boundaries. It has borders. It has rules. It has rituals. Mm -hmm. It has all of that um, etiquette. It has yeah. all these things, and yeah. that community is embedded deeply within larger capitalist systems of competition yeah. and scarce resources. And yeah. I've seen, you know, I've been at meetings with 
um, you know, for one of these big, large funding organizations and in this room with some of the big names in Buddhist studies and seeing them be threatened by the thought that some other project is going to get funded as if that project will take money away yep. from them was like, wow, these are a bunch of scared children <laughs> it's not who so are different. fighting over their Legos. Like, <laughs> it's, it's not so different as other uh power structures that are being um, worked through in American, or not worked through in yeah. American society, like women entering the workplace and how that threatened men. I, my mom told me this story of when she went, to, she was early, uh, an early working mom. Um, and she said she found out the guy that she was working with made immensely more money than she did. And she said, that sucks. <laughs> and he said, yeah, but I'm the provider in the family, so mm. you don't really need to make the same amount of money yeah, as yeah. I do. And just kind of the that attitude of you'll take away from me, right? Mm. Um, we can see that in broader social trends going on right now. The, the Trumpism um, drawing primarily on whites. If you look at the statistics, it's white folks. And they're frightened of losing privilege, and rightly so, because they're losing privilege. <laughs> Just like when scholars are threatened by another project, mm -hmm. rightly so, because mm -hmm. that other project can take money away from them. Yeah. So yeah. that's where that's where I'm saying embodied <laughs> scholarly practice, right, yeah. is being transparent about reflecting on our own ethics and what we believe to be fair and what we believe to be right. Because we always have those ideas pushing us in the background in big ways, in big, big ways. Um, and without transparency, we're, we're all you know, at each other's throats and harming each other, and I, I think that sucks. <laughs> Don't you want to be a scholar like us, Harry? <laughs> <No>. <laughs> Not gonna happen. <laughs> but I think that, even if I wanted to, I couldn't. <laughs> well, I think that the part of this, though, that that I think the important thing to sort of to reflect on is that what we do in academia is we tend not to be self-critical yeah. in academia itself. Yeah. Where yeah. We're so used to you know being you know sort of like the scientist who's studying the thing in the yeah. petri dish. We don't yeah. think about the systems and the structures that even though like what like yeah. there are strains of academia that spend all of their time being critical of structures and systems <laughs> rarely does that sort of self-critical thing come back in but but the thing that i think is important to remember is that, that all of us are embedded in those right? right like as a priest for the bca you're in a particular kind of That's system right. a kind of structure which sometimes is helpful and has the the right intention of propagating yeah. the dharma and sometimes is you know is less than helpful <laughs> and being able to be sort of self-critical of yeah. the systems that you're embedded in and participate in and how that they you know self-perpetuate mm -hmm. is important as well as particularly in buddhist studies to think about the way in which we're our, our very job is to define that's buddhism right. that's what buddhist studies does at the end of the day what buddhist studies does is define yeah. buddhism and and we're called on to do that and yeah. reject the idea of a unified buddhism at the same time <laughs> <laughs> No, there was an interesting post on the um, BCA webpage, um, an article by one of the BCA ministers about the um, young woman from Sweden, who's t totally, she's a girl actually, she's like 12 or something, right? The oh, environmental the, the climate activist. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. Right? Um, 
and how the idea of we got to realize this is like the fire on your head. This is like we can point to a (laughs) Buddhist um, metaphor, right? It's like putting out a fire in your head. This isn't something you can just whatever. When I get around to it. We have to react. And a couple of the comments were fascinating because one guy said, one gentleman says, oh, I see um, this reverend has jumped on the liberal bandwagon of this whole thing. Those people, these studies, I, I just can't buy into this idea that the environmental problems are human-generated. Yeah. Um, this is just scientists wanting to make money. Mm-hmm. And then the next person came on. Yeah, totally. I worked at, at labs and stuff, and it, they were just fighting over money. It's really interesting. It was like this really mm-hmm. blasé kind of, I don't trust those money-growing scientists. Mm-hmm. Um, that's not this <laughs> isn't fat a cats problem. White coats. And you've yeah. just bought into this liberal <laughs> discourse. Right. It was really horrifying <laughs> and saddening and um but yeah that's really you know, tough territory yeah. that's really because as an ethically grounded person that means i have uh i i have a voice in that project right <laughs> i can't deny that i am a political being um so people are going to attack it and and the thing is that those kind of critiques are generated i think from folks who who have the who have a lot to lose through change, right? So people want to resist change because if they're doing really well and other people aren't doing so well, then the possibility is they could change into that and that who wants that, right? I mean, um, yeah, I mean that that could be resistance to all kinds of things, you know, resistance to seeing merit in the sutras, resistance to um, seeing that your hair is on fire, you know. Yeah. So, you know what's interesting? I also think about those kinds of comments, like when BCA or other religious organizations will post, you know, something about politics, and there's this the sense of like, oh, you shouldn't be posting yeah. that. Yeah, yeah. Politi- yeah those politics has, always come up. Politics yeah. has no place in. Buddhism is apolitical. Yeah, yeah. But that's the separation of ethics again. Mm -hmm. So interesting. Yeah, somebody posted that, and they were like, what Buddhism is talking about is beyond time. All Mm -hmm. this stuff is just temporary and whatever. And it was like, yeah, but we have to live here. But but we're here now. We have to deal with it. We're here now. So you think that Buddhism is just a transcendental discourse of some... Well, it goes back to the question. It goes back to the original question that Scott posed from one of the readers, a couple... Mm -hmm. A couple podcasts ago. <laughs> Days ago now. Yeah, it's that same discourse. Make your own. Mm-hmm. It's this individual doing things, and it has nothing to do with politics, mm-hmm. and it has nothing to do with ethics. It has nothing to do with anything except the, your pursuit of awakening. And that is apolitical. I mean, that's, yeah. Yeah. Please. But, <laughs> Please. I mean, I, I hear what you're saying, that there's that a particular interpretation that that's apolitical. Yeah. My view is that nothing is apolitical. Oh, I agree with right? that. that. Yeah. That, you know, you, yes, you can make this interpretation that Buddhism is this transcendental right. thing that has that's But that that's itself is time. a political yeah. act. Yeah, 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 I agree with that. Because, you know, even if all of this is, a, a you know, a, an imaginary construct and it's provisional truth or whatever, yeah. however you want to phrase that, doesn't change the fact that we're here and that this is that something is happening even if it's a misperception of reality and so that begs the question what do you do how do you live life how do you live your life well it seems like the the only way to really be apolitical right is just like 
you know, cut yourself off and go right. live in a cabin in the woods and have no contact with other human beings. Well, it is a political <laughs> discourse. Individualism is a political yeah. discourse. Um, it's also a way that, going back to what I said before, because I, I am kind of probably Marxist, but, um, oh no! Uh, <laughs> <laughs> hide! Um, but it's, it's people who have the, the most to gain from things not changing, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, and so mm-hmm. you can say, I'm apolitical because you don't want things to change. And, you know, folks, yeah, I, I'm going to get too political right now, and I, I don't, I don't want to go that direction. I could all day long, trust me, but... <laughs> Um, but it, that particular stream of discourse, I agree with you, Scott, is a political discourse, and it's a status quo political discourse. And to go back to this idea of fake Buddha quotes, right, again, there's this sense of, like, Buddhism is about these these mystical things or about transcendental Transcendent things or whatever. Things, yeah. um, you know, it has nothing to do with politics or power and all yeah. those things, but it's, it has everything to do with politics and yeah. power, as you were saying before about... You know, or, or you were both were saying about the way in which um, the Mahavihara is in re- trying to get in with the court. You know, right. they're trying to get support from like the royal again, family, it's competing for yeah, scans, for scarce resources. resources. And the Buddha yeah. can can I mean, kings consulted with the Buddha yeah. too. Right. Like. So there's it's to 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 say that there's nothing political about Buddhism is to conveniently pick out the parts that you that support whatever argument you're trying to make and ignore the parts that don't. Well, it's claiming that your claim, view is universal. Yeah. And that, your claim and, is just universal right. and everybody else is doing something, yeah, but yeah. I'm the universal uh, speaker, right? right? Yeah. And I think it's easy to say, oh, well, you know, when you know, Japan was becoming, uh, you know, the empire of Japan and they were, you know, invading China and Russia and, you know, there was, there were priests out there, you know. Yeah. <laughs> See, that's the thing. Who were using um, Buddhism to support yeah. a, a, a colonialist expansion of Japan. Right. And the easy thing to do, just like with what's happening in Myanmar, the easiest thing to do is to say, oh, well, that's not Buddhist. Yep. That's the mm-hmm. wrong interpretation. Yep. And just sort of walk away and mm-hmm. not, you know, that doesn't mean you shouldn't criticize it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think that it's easy to look at some of the, the, the doctrines that came out from Nishi Honganji and others at the time that were like, huh, mm-hmm. that's, uh, that's not okay. Mm-hmm. That, that it's an important thing to do, to critique yeah. those things. But to just simply dismiss it as not Buddhist, I think, is um, easy. And, it, it means we're not taking yeah. responsibility for an ethical stance. Mm-hmm. And we're trying to pretend that we don't have ethics or morals. <laughs> And that's my thing. I'm like really waving that flag today. Um, but like I look at something like in Sri Lanka, people are doing the same thing. So you know, when there were there were recently the bombings um, in Sri Lanka um, by a very small Muslim group, um, but associated with ISIS. Uh, and by the way, historically, there has never been any uh, Muslim uh, violent activity that I know of in Sri Lanka because the majority is Buddhist. <laughs> like, uh, the mass majority is Buddhist with um, another second largest group of, of Christians. Um, but there are... So this, this, these bombings, the Easter bombings... Gave, gave fire to groups like Bodubala Sena, who were associated with Myanmar, and they could say things like, you know, Muslims don't count as humans, um, 
we're losing Buddhism, um, even though we're the majority. <laughs> um, but the easy response to that is just to say, oh, those aren't really Buddhists. But then, you know, like they they have Buddha Balasena is just uh, rotten to the core, and they're not they're not really Buddhists. So let's not talk about it anymore because real Buddhism is these things over here. But as soon as you do that, you're not taking responsibility for having a basic empathy for other humans in the world. Yeah. Flag waves. Flag waves. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm, I don't know. I'm saddened by the, all the hate in the world yeah. and the increasing waves of hate and that it's okay somehow and that, you know, that... Um, I think misogyny is like a big yeah. driving force underneath a lot of this personally. Mm-hmm. And um, like you were saying about your mom, that wasn't that long ago. No, it really wasn't. Right? It's not like it was 200 years ago or 500 yeah. years yeah. ago or something, right? It was yeah. like 30 years yeah. ago, 40 mm-hmm. years ago, 20 yeah. years ago. We could probably still find it now. Oh, right? sure. Right? Yeah. Um, and just, I think, I don't know. I think this, this is similar with the, um, you know, Nishihonganji's involvement in the militarist enterprise of, of Imperial Japan and everything and I talked about it in, when I was speaking in Hawaii and you know said you know our school of Buddhism is not um, blameless in all this mm-hmm. and actually we have played a huge part in the war effort and in the subjugation of Korea and you know other parts of Asia and um, and one of the people came up after and said I, I remember a minister told me we didn't do that and I was like no we did and Nishihonganji themselves rejected letters written by the Monshu during World mm-hmm. War II. Like they said that these, we do not accept what these letters say. Like yeah. they came out. I think Nishihonganji is somewhat progressive, actually, mm-hmm. um, in like the whole thing with the visits to um, what's the shrine where the where the war oh, criminals yeah. are, and mm-hmm. um, right, and um, and like those those missives that the the, um, the Monshu would write and um, those kind of things. But but rather than sweep it under the rug, right. rather than say, oh no no, Buddhism is about peace. I think it's more important to acknowledge these things and bring them. Out and, and take responsibility yeah. for them, mm-hmm. and that's the thing. When when you run around saying you are racist, you are this, you are that, it doesn't help. It doesn't do anything. It that's just puts people on the defensive. I have to see. Wait, I'm racist. Yeah. Shit. But what was that, that term they used? The no idea. Buddha. Um, A Buddha as um, wished Buddha for. As wished for. Mm-hmm. 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 Um, it's good to have that. Yes, we have this wish. We have a wish that we could all get along and that there could be peace and that we didn't have to fight over resources. And that, um, But if we don't acknowledge, and yet I have these That's right. feelings of anger and hatred and, and whatever mm-hmm. in myself, then nothing's going to change. Yeah, yeah. You actually got to work at it. 